this old porch just a big old red and white Herbert Bulls standing under a mesquite tree Now a dose of Texas, he just keeps on playing hide and seek with that hot August sun He's sweating and a pantin' Cause work is never done Oh no He's got them cows And that red top cane This old porch is just a steaming greasy plate of enchiladas With lots of cheese and onions And a guacamole salad You can get them at the LaSalle Hotel in old downtown With iced tea and a waitress who will smile every time Yes, she will I left a quarter tip on my ten dollar bill This old porch is a palace walk-in on the main street in Texas It ain't never seen or heard today A GNR and X's with the 62 poster It's almost faded down and a screen without a picture since John came to town. Oh no. And here we are back with your livable garden. Michael Sean along with Melinda and Kelly. Talking about our front yard today. The front yards. Oh yes. What a great place. I just I grew up and we played in the front yard. We enjoyed the front yard. We did. We rode our bikes. My parents sat in their lawn chairs watching us. <laughs> you knew the neighborhood. The neighbors knew what you were supposed to be doing and mm-hmm. when you weren't doing it. So, And luckily, to give us a little bit more of a historical insight in this, we have Michael Dolan on the line with us. He's the author of The American Porch, An Informal History of an Informal Place. Michael, how are you doing? So nice to be with you today. I, I was happy to hear uh, the great Lyle Lovett, Robert Earl Keane song <laughs> open up the set, too. I, I used that as the, uh, intro- at the introduction of my book. Oh, oh. it is. How wonderful. <laughs> well, Perfect encapsulation. Yes, I'll tell you what. For years, we've been trying to capture the feel of a front porch in our landscaping by doing courtyards and things like that. And uh saw your book and just think it's fantastic. I just would like to have you. I, I really just want to be quiet and listen to you talk, but I'm sure I'm going to have to ask you a few questions. But... Oh, no, please don't get me started. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be all day Saturday. Uh, okay, okay. Well, uh, one, t- of the, one, of the, uh, one of the interesting things about this subject is I started out sitting on my own front porch. I live in Washington, D.C., at the was, very edge of the city. I was born there. Where? What hospital? Uh, Georgetown. Oh, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to have to find out. I was born in Washington, <laughs> D.C., grew up in District Heights. Oh, okay. Well, you might have been born in Sibley, which is where I was born, on North Capitol Street. I'd have to ask my mom. I'm not yeah. sure. Well, let's get her on the phone. <laughs> um, but uh, my wife and I uh, uh, and our son uh, live in a, uh, a 1920s vintage bungalow that we renovated. My wife and I, Eileen O'Toole's my wife's name, renovated in uh, the 1980s and into the 1990s. It was a, it was a long-term live-on-site renovation. It was kind of like the Battle of Stalingrad. <laughs> room by room, wall by wall. Oh, goodness. Wow. The last thing that we did, because we rarely had enough money to do any big jobs, and we were relying on, largely on my income as a freelance writer to do it, uh, the last big job we did was to air-condition the house and uh, thanks to a, uh, a line of credit uh, refinance, which I know has come into great uh, disrepute, but uh, it can be very useful. Um, <laughs> we used we used a, a refinance on our house to to take the old porch, which had been 
and closed with what uh, some people call a Florida room or jalousies, which are those little thin panes of right, glass. Right, right, right. And we had that. It, it basically made the front of the house look like somebody whose eye had been punched shut. <laughs> and um, we tore that off and, and redid it to a design of my my amateur archi- archi- architectural uh, sensibility uh, with columns. And, um, and I was sitting on the porch in 1995, and there had just been a thunderstorm. And uh, at that time, I was writing pretty much strictly for print. And uh, a friend of mine who was working for the New York Times magazine phoned me up and said, I need some stories. I'm working on a section that's got really short articles. These are like haiku articles, 200 words long. <laughs> now, I can write a 200-word sentence if you let me. Porch. What but in I place? Said, but I, so I said to Alex, there's just been a thunderstorm. I said, I said lightning. He says, okay, write 200 words about lightning. Research and write it. What else? And, and the porch had just been refinished, so there wasn't anything I could crib, crib from. There were no magazines or newspapers, which is what freelance writers always do. We always steal other people's ideas. <laughs> and, uh, and I looked around, and I said, porches. And Alex said, what about them? And I said, I don't know, something. <laughs> so he said, well, do the lightning thing first and then do the porch thing. So I did the lightning thing first, and that story ran in the New York Times magazine. And then I began researching porches, and I couldn't find I, – I, I, one of the things I, I feel or felt then and feel now about a porch is when I sit on my porch, I feel like such an American. It's like you couldn't – I might as well be wearing high-top Chuck Taylors and, <laughs> and a baseball cap, and you Aww. couldn't mistake me for anything but – uh, but I was talking to the uh, new urbanist architect, Andres Duani, down in Florida, and, uh, about porches, which are porches being part of the new urbanism. Mm-hmm. And Andres said, you know, there's no, there's no really good book about the porch. You should write one. So I did. <laughs> and what happened was that sent me on a sort of a five-year jihad, chasing the porch and researching it and trying to get published. And finally, in 2002, uh, Lions Press and Globe Pequot published this book, during which time the the uh, nascent revival of the porch that I had noticed in the early 1990s really gained uh, stamina and strength and momentum and and now the porch is 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 sort of largely back in terms of people's recognition that it's sort of part of the the vocabulary of vernacular architecture in America. Well, I've noticed even there are a few new towns that have been built and. Uh... They're trying to make sure they got the front porch back on them. In fact, I think they're in Florida, some of these new well, towns. Well, the seaside, seaside is sort of the iconic uh, place. That was the, the town that they used as the set for the movie The Truman Show. Yeah, that almost looks like the government built the whole thing, though. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little too... Uh, it, 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 well, it's it It's done. First of all, these, these places, Seaside, Celebration, that Disney built down in, uh, in or outside, outside Orlando, right. these, are, these are, are attempts at imposing a collective look on a place. Right. My neighborhood is much more motley than that. It's called Palisades and it's it's literally along the Potomac River. If you think if you look at the map of Washington DC, it looks like a square on its point. Mm-hmm. And I live in the western I, I live there's one more block before you get to the end of the city where I live. And Palisades began to be developed in the 1890s as a streetcar suburb even though it's within the city line. Uh, but uh, the the Great uh, Recession, the Great Panic of 1893, through much as ours our recession now has thrown off so much expansion in the in the economy, that threw off the development of the neighborhood. So Palisades got developed lot by lot by individual builders and homeowners. In fact, building their own houses. Why did we well, lose the porch? Well, the the porch uh, 
was ubiquitous in the 19th century. It was the American vernacular architecture, and it, people got tired of it. People get tired of stuff. Architecture is just fashion written in wooden nails. And, That's beautifully uh, said. <laughs> it had been it had been around the porch. The porch came to America, and it's worth noting uh, in this uh, in Black History Month, the porch as a, as a social institution came to America with slavery. How did that the, happen? The West African tribes all along in West Africa, which is where most of the, the Africans who were kidnapped into slavery in the New World came from, mm-hmm. uh, all had some word or had some word in their tribal language for what we call a porch. Really? Yep. In Sierra Leone, for example, the word is pesa. The the uh, the word pesa refers to the porch on on your dwelling, and people had these for very practical reasons: hot, sunny bugs, get up off the ground, get out from under the sun. But they were also the places where people socialized, where they interacted, where, uh, uh, as, a, as a cab driver from Sierra Leone once told me, the chef du village would render justice. <laughs> now, did they have old dogs under their porches, too? Uh, one can only imagine. I mean, the, the vernacular <laughs> architecture of pre-colonial Africa, as you can imagine, is long gone. So right. we don't have a way to look back at that. But what happened was, in, in a nutshell, and I, I, as I, I really know way too much about this subject, so don't get me talking. That's okay. Keep going. Uh, but... <laughs> But uh, when, when uh, the Pope gave the Portuguese sort of the, the license to enslave Africans, he said, as long as you baptize them, you can do anything you want with them. We're going to mix in Lent and Black History Month all together. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's okay. right. That's right. So, <laughs> so, so there was in those days, in the, in the, in the, at the end of the Renaissance, when the explorations of the New World were happening, there was great fear of Islam taking over Africa, if you'll recall. Mm-hmm. So there was an interest not only in establishing a European hegemony there, but also in Christianizing the, the animist tribes of Africa. So these Africans were kidnapped first to Brazil, where the Portuguese had established a colony uh, at Bahia and Pernambuco, up on that, that shoulder of Brazil, that if you push the continents of Africa and Brazil together, would fit very nicely. Right. And that, that, uh, those sugar plantations originally were conceived by the Portuguese as being staffed by enslaved Indians. But the Indians of Brazil would either uh, fight to the death or just wouldn't work. And the Portuguese, so they brought hundreds of thousands of Africans over. These Africans, uh, the first thing they said to them after they uh, unshackled them from the ships was, well, build yourself a place to live. So they built what they knew, which was the vernacular architecture of West Africa. So we had these rough porch-like structures being built in the New World in South America. Um, through a process that I won't go into in detail, the, that sensibility made its way to the Caribbean right around the time that another architectural sensibility was coming westward from Italy, which was uh, neo, uh, neoclassicism, the Palladian design of the architect Andrea Palladio, who was active mm-hmm. in the region of uh, on the landward region near Venice, Palladio came up with the idea of taking the portico, which is a Roman structure that had been put on uh, public buildings, institutions, and temples, but wasn't really part of residential architecture. Palladio uh, was working for the Grandes of, of Venice, the, the great families of Venice that were the, the, the merchant families who had made all their money since Venice's establishment in the 1100s, the 900s, actually, was when the city began to really take form. Um, they were at that time uh, losing out to the Ottoman Turks. The Ottoman Turks were taking over the Mediterranean. The Venetian traders couldn't get their corn shipments, so they went inland to a region called the Veneto and began plantations where they would grow rice and corn and other, other goods, other staples to support themselves and to sell. These were people who were accustomed to living in palaces. 
they the if you've been to Venice, the the great the great uh, casas or ca they say the Venetian slang is ca uh, right. for, for house. So uh, they, their cause along the canals were just wonderful places. And they had on those uh, first floors of those houses, they had what they called loggias. Loggias were where you stepped off your barca, your boat, into your house. And there were also loggias that the Venetian governors, the, the doges, used to render justice, much like the chiefs in Africa. So that, that uh, on the doges' palace, there are, there are columned structures some some say that these were influenced by uh, Islamic architecture because uh, columns and right. peaked windows come from from Egypt and from the Ottoman area. Anyway, so the Venetians were used to living in a certain amount of style, and when Andrea Palladio began building houses for them, he was essentially designing and building houses much as one would be building and designing houses for dot-com millionaires today. <laughs> these were not people who were shy about displaying their their wealth and their status. And so Palladio said, you know, that portico on the Roman in uh, the Roman uh, temple would be a great place to put your coat of arms. Wow. So we so ended up with a, a mix between doing your your billion dollar homes and the shacks that the sugar plantation slaves had. No, no, no. He didn't know anything about those sugar plantations. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, what he was here and here's an interesting here's the here's the key point. The, uh, the African houses in villages were right out on the thoroughfare, so people would interact with each other. The houses were small, they were close together. The Venetian uh, uh, doges and, and the, the merchant princes were building their houses on plantations behind high walls. But nonetheless, they were open spaces, and they were where the host of the house would greet his guests, and they were a place where a liminal space, as we say, a place between the outside and the inside where you interact. So the key is that this this liminal space that uh, Palladio built began to be popular across Europe and got to England with the building of the square at Covent Garden, which uh, used some Palladian design elements. In fact, uh, the the architect Christopher Wren, who designed it, I think it's God, I, I should I should know this, but I wrote the book so long ago. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, you'll just have to take points off if I get this wrong. Okay, it'll be the architect. Five. Excuse me, Inigo Jones. That's who it was. Uh, Inigo Jones, who designed Covent Garden, which was the first square in London, included a piazza. He called it a piazza, which is the Italian word for plaza, much like the piazzas of Palladio. Palladian design in Italy. And what he did was he basically built out on the second floor residential places. And on the first floor, where there were uh, retail establishments, there were columns. So you'd be walking under this roofed area. Okay. And that piazza so impressed people in London that they, they began to call the roofed area the piazza, not the square. I mean, they, they right. kind of missed it, mixed it up, but nonetheless, it became part of of the, the Argot there in London. Meanwhile, you had another uh, would-be group of dot-com millionaires in the Caribbean who were the colonials who were making money hand over fist using slaves to grow sugar in places like Jamaica and Barbados. Right. So those people were, there was a regular transit back and forth between London and, and the colonies, much as one might say there's a regular transit back and forth here between Washington and Hollywood. Uh, you know, the people who want to want to be seen and be, <laughs> right, right. be connected, they would go to the capital and they would disport themselves. So, so the these colonials who were who were dying to pick up whatever shred of style they were they were nouveau riches. They 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 wanted very badly to to be part of the in crowd, in with the in crowd. Um, 
with uh, with London. So they saw this piazza, and then they looked at these these structures that they were using. They had picked up the the porch like structure of African design, but it was rough. Their houses had uh, places under roofs where they could sit. Basically, planters in 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 the slavery culture. Uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, at all gloss this over. Planters in the slavery culture uh, in the Caribbean basically stayed drunk all day, okay. and they watched their Negroes work and do make all the work. Money. They just sat on the porch and drank rum, and uh, you know it was, it, life was very good. It's very good. I mean, it's in an economy where your workforce uh, is a uh, is chattel, you, you can do very well. Uh, That's incredible. So, Listen, Michael, we're gonna have to take a break here. What I'd like to do is we're gonna take a break and. Uh, Come back and kind of wrap this part up, and then yep. maybe give us a quick, uh, maybe spend about five minutes and let us know how we get into the, uh, the more modern day architecture. Absolutely. So what we're going to do is we're going to grab a little breakfast here. We're going to go out on our front porch, overlooking beautiful West Houston here. Our front porch is, of course, on the fifty seventh floor of uh, Mirror Lake Towers, the executive suites. So uh, I'm on a diet, so I guess it's just going to be some. <laughs> nuts and granola or something like that. Anyway, y'all grab what you need. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in a few minutes.